Hello, Julia Campbell here with a very time-sensitive pre-roll. I have opened the doors to my brand new course for nonprofits, The Digital Fundraising Formula. It's a step-by-step blueprint to launching wildly successful online fundraising campaigns and a formula that you can use over and over again. And the doors are only open until September 20th. Class starts September 20th. So go to digitalfundraisingformula.com digitalfundraisingformula.com and take a look, sign up, register. And I really hope to see you on the inside. All right, let's get to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Nation. I'm so excited to be here with you today. We have a very special guest, Nell Edgington, who I have been shocked to realize that I don't think that we had met before. Maybe we'd crossed paths before, but I feel very fortunate to have her on the podcast. So Nell has spent her 25-year career innovating in the social change sector. As president of Social Velocity, she helps create more strategic, financially savvy, and confident nonprofit and philanthropic leaders and organizations. She's also a popular writer, speaker, and blogger an author of a book that absolutely everyone is raving about, and I don't just say that, Reinventing Social Change, Embrace Abundance to Create a Healthier and More Equitable World. Nell's also a member of the National Leap Ambassadors Community, a network of more than 250 social change thought leaders, and she holds an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern. So welcome, Nell. Thank you so much for having me, Julia. I'm delighted to be here. Yay. All right. Well, let's begin with your story, how you got involved with nonprofit social change agent work. Yeah. So I have been in the sector my whole career since I graduated from college. I've worked for all kinds of different nonprofit organizations, literacy, arts, media, kind of all across the gamut. And I started Social Velocity 13 years ago. Because honestly, I got frustrated with what I saw as a lot of hurdles and and impediments to true social change work. I saw nonprofit and philanthropic leaders continually hampered in their work to try and create a healthier and more equitable world. And so Mm -hmm. I started Social Velocity to help organizations become more confident, more strategic, more financially abundant so that they could realize their social change goals. Well, that gets us into your latest book, Reinventing Social Change. And I am not kidding you. I've heard everyone raving about this from Pam Grow to Jeff Brooks to all of the people that you have that blurbed your book. I mean, 
it's really, it's definitely worth a read, but tell me about how it came about. Tell me about what happened after the 2016 election, which I think a lot of us (laughs) will be able to relate to. It was bad, right? It was traumatic. It was bad. (laughs) I didn't get out of bed for like two days. My kids wondered what was wrong with me. Oh, I know, man. Yeah. So the 2016 election was a blow, I think, honestly, to, you know, so many social change leaders. And I don't mean it from a political standpoint. I'm not a huge political zealot or anything like that. I just honestly believe that we should, you know, take care of each other. Yeah, we should move forward. We should take care of each other. We should take care of the planet. We're all in this together, you know, just some basic things. And to me, it felt like the 2016 election was sort of shoving a lot of that to the side and sort of a lot of social change goals and a lot of social change work felt like it suddenly had huge hurdles in its way. And so to me, I I had to take a big step back because I was so devastated by that. I didn't understand how my work as a social change leader, because I consider myself a social change leader as well, I didn't understand how I could work in a world like that anymore, an environment like that anymore. So because I I at least knew enough that I was not going to be of use to anyone if I was that lost myself, I took a four-month sabbatical, still working with clients, but I stopped writing my blog. I stopped speaking. I just needed to kind of go inward and figure out you know, what the, what this all meant. Mm -hmm. And through that Mm -hmm. process, um, I also got myself a coach, a leadership coach. I think coaches need coaches. That's what you wrote in your book. I love that. Absolutely. And through that process of over, you know, really, honestly, it was a couple of years. It wasn't just my four month sabbatical. It was a, it was a couple of years of just searching and reading and walking and writing that I, I came to this path that worked for me to move from scarcity thinking, which is honestly what I was stuck in after the 2016 election, this thought that there isn't enough, the world's a dark place, I don't know what's happening, I don't fit in, to a path of abundance, to where I am now, where I'm I'm honestly so optimistic about the future, which I know is a crazy thing to think, right? In the midst of a pan- global pandemic and, you know, just everyone, I, you know, the, the New York Times article the news about languishing, day. right? Everyone's languishing. I get that. I see Oh, I read that article too. Yes. Yeah, I get that, but I don't, that's, that's not for me. I see a really powerful, optimistic, hopeful path forward. I Love honestly it. believe the human race is going to figure this out. We're going to get there. It's going to be hard and it's going to be rough, but I think we're going to emerge so much better. And that excites me. I love that. And what really resonated with me when I read that is you're right. When people hear about our experience of the election, they immediately go to this partisan place and this political place And while I am very, me personally, I'm very partisan and very political and I have been my whole life, I do know that for the majority of people, it really wasn't about Republican, Democrat. It was about the values that America holds dear and the work that we're doing. And we're trying to move the world forward. And like you said, care for each other, care for people of different races, different economic status, people that speak different languages you know, caring for people that have, you know, different economic status, caring for the planet. So I think that's, I think that's 
really an important, uh, you know, I really like that you started your book that you were kind of shook with the world as it was, and that it led you to writing this book, which is all about how to change the mindset of the entire sector, which I absolutely think we have to do. So that leads us into some of the themes of the book. So, you know, I've read the first chapter. Like I said, I didn't get the full book from Amazon yet. I should I should go to my local bookstore and get it. But what I want to hear more about is the scarcity mindset. So I hear a lot about this in business circles, but what does operating from a scarcity mindset mean for nonprofits? So a scarcity mindset is simply the belief that there's not enough. So there's not enough money. I think that's the biggest one in the social change sector. People are constantly both on the philanthropy side and the nonprofit side talking about there's just not enough money. There's not enough money. But it's beyond that. There's not enough money. There's not enough power. There's not enough influence. There's not enough time. There are not enough people, not enough Mm -hmm. board members, right? It's just this constant drone of not enough. And that, that mindset, because it is, it's just a belief. It's just a set of beliefs. That ultimately, I think, is what's holding true social change back. Wow. So on the flip side, what does an abundance mindset look like? So an abundance mindset is ultimately, it's reclaiming your power. It's saying that there actually is enough. There's plenty of money out there. And, you know, just as a single data point, right? There's so much talk during the pandemic that there's not enough money for, you know, nonprofits are scrambling for money. There's, you know, government scrambling for money. Meanwhile, billionaires have gotten Mm -hmm. significantly richer during the pandemic, right? So the money's out there. Mm -hmm. It's not that there's not enough money. It's that money is not flowing the way we want it to flow to social change. That's a problem we can fix. And so the idea behind abundance is to recognize the issues. I'm not at all suggesting a Pollyanna approach, but you recognize where you are lacking something or needing something, and then you create a bridge to, okay, well, let's figure out how to get there. Let's figure out how to move money from the billionaires to social change. Let's figure out how to flow money more effectively so to me, all of those things are possible and an abundance mindset simply opens the door to something beyond scarcity. Yes. And I love what you wrote in the book and I'm going to quote it in the introduction. It's not just about money. You also want to connect to the many more people who are poised to help you achieve your social change vision. A massive team of people, both inside and outside your organization, have the connections, influence, ideas, and drive to help you. They simply await your direction. Mobilizing this amazing team for good is up to you. So I love that. Can you talk more about how we can mobilize this amazing team of people? Yeah. So step one is just realizing they're out there in the first place. I think so often nonprofit leaders feel so burdened by all the lack that they feel that they're experiencing that they they sort of isolate themselves. They take everything on their own shoulders. And so there's this silo effect that happens or this sort of, you know, narrowing down your aperture that happens. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is to open that up to, first of all, say, it's not all up to me and to start to ask for help. So to start to ask your board 
your staff to stop sort of taking on the martyr approach, which I think happens a lot in the nonprofit sector. You know, again, it's all, it's all up to me. Only I can do it. No one else can do it as well Mm -hmm. as I can. I'm the only one that understands. Start to think about your board, your staff, people outside your organization, other people that, other people in organizations that are working on similar social issues, policymakers, influencers, all of that takes a level of confidence to say, you know, what I have to offer the world, the social value I'm trying to create has real merit. And I want to offer people the opportunity to help me in this work. That's a more confident, abundant approach Mm -hmm. to the more sort of typical approach, which is, oh, this is really hard work. It's all up to me. No one's going to really want to help me. I hate to ask for help. So it's flipping that switch and really seeing the folks outside your walls and even those inside your walls as you know able to and willing to help you. I love that. You also say in the book if you change your questions you change your life. So tell me more about this. So, so I, I think, think I can use this personally <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm a huge believer in questions. I've always been someone that's just constantly asking why? Why is it like that? Why mm-hmm. why can't we do that? And again as you think about you know, the things that are weighing you down, instead of just sort of being in that soup of lack, start to ask why. Well, why is it like this? Or why do we feel like it's so hard to get money? Or why do we feel like our board is immobilized? Or, or you know, why do we think this is a really difficult time to move things forward? When you start to ask those questions, you can begin to build a bridge a bridge to something else, something different than where you exist right now. And so questioning can be a way a way to do that. I love that. I love the idea of building a bridge. So, I mean, for me, I think the biggest challenge that I think my audience might have and the clients that I'm currently working with might have is how do we get buy-in? So we are fully on board with this. We read this book, we get all charged up, we're highlighting it, we're shouting from the rooftops, we're like snapping, we're like, we love it, love it, love it. But I am a development director, right? And I just feel like I'm hitting my head against a wall every single day. How can I get buy-in either from, probably from everyone, from staff members, from my ED, from the board? Do you have tips on how people can get, can build by and build an abundance culture? Uh Uh-huh. So I think, first of all, we move too quickly to other people. I think we move too quickly to say, oh, I get it. No, I'm I'm totally on board with this. My problem is all these people out here. Oh my God. Love it. it. Love it. So that's step one is to just truly absorb it in yourself and begin to recognize when you're starting to think in terms of scarcity again, because I think what you just talked about there, and I get it. I mean, I I felt the same way, but when you start to say, there's not enough other people like me out there. Then maybe that's part of scarcity mindset. It is. It's exactly part of scarcity mindset. So you really have to do the work on your own first to really truly believe it and catch yourself when you start to say as a development director, you know, I totally get this abundance thing, but it's just so hard out there to raise money. Like my funders don't get it again, bring it back. Do you truly believe that there is enough money out there? Do you truly believe that funders can be brought along with what you're trying to do? Start to, to work on that. As you work on that, it begins to grow. Focus less on the lack of 
you know, abundance out there, focus more on what you want to see and it starts to grow. So you start, if you believe funders are totally going to get this, funders are going to love this. They're going to, you know, you're just starting to light up because you're so excited about this. That energy continues to grow in whatever room you find yourself, whether it's a staff room, a boardroom, a donor's house, whatever it is, the energy and the abundance you bring to it itself grows it for other people. Wow. I really have to think on that because I am doing a lot of work with a group that I'm involved with as a volunteer. I'm not their consultant on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's the very first step. It's just like you said, instead of pointing fingers, instead of accusing everyone else, instead of saying, no, I've got this. I'm not racist. I have no biases. You have to do the internal work first and model it before you bring it to other people. Live it. That's really wonderful. Live it, right? Like, yeah, you have to live it. You have to live it and be it. Hey there. I'm interrupting this episode to share an absolutely free training that I created that's getting nonprofits of all sizes big results. Sure, you've been spending hours on social media, but what can you actually show for it? With all this posting and Instagramming and TikToking, does it really translate into action? In my free training, I'll show you exactly how to take people from passive fans to passionate supporters, and I'll give you specific steps to create social media content that actually converts. Head on over to nonprofitsthatconvert.com. Again, that's nonprofitsthatconvert.com and start building a thriving social media community for your nonprofit right now without a big team, lots of tech overwhelm, or getting stuck on the question, what do I do next? Let me show you how it's done. I can't wait to see what you create. So to me, I mean, it seems like this is just sort of like steering a cruise ship. Like what can we do if we're fully on board, we're doing our internal work, but how can we encourage other people in the sector? How can we encourage other thought leaders, other influencers? Because I hear so much about donor fatigue and I do a lot of work in marketing and communications. I hear so much about, oh, email. I don't, I don't read my email. I don't go on social media. I don't answer my phone. I don't, I don't want communications from nonprofits. I don't, you know, I'm so tapped out. I don't have any money left to give. I hear that from people. So I think that development directors and marketing directors are hearing that. So how do we, like, how can I help just combat this narrative? What are some strategies that we can use? Well, so again, you know, I would start internally. So if you're, you know, if you're hearing folks saying, you know, I'm just sick of hearing from nonprofits, it's not meaningful for me. I just, I need a break or whatever. Then Again, think about, okay, well, what are the communications that we're doing? Are they sort of tired and exhausted and scarcity focused as well? Mm-hmm. Or are we over here having a party because we're just so excited about the work that we're doing and we want to tell everybody about it. And your communications are coming from that energy. That's the energy that's going to get people's attention and get them to say, hey, I want to be 
part of that, or they may not. And that's their choice too. You're not going to appeal to everybody, but what you want to do is have your own party over here about, you know, the great work you're doing, the, the transformation that's happening with your organization, how excited you are about the future, you know, what's happening. Those that want to be part of that are going to be sort of magnetized to that energy. I love that. The energy you put out is energy you get back. And actually, when I talked to Ria Wong, our mutual podcasting friend, she had said something similar where you're inviting people in. You're not trying to knock mm-hmm. on their door and you know pull their teeth and browbeat them to participate. Exactly. Change so never you, happens that way, right? No one is ever not. no one is ever brought kicking and screaming to change. They're invited. And, you know, change is so exciting and so enticing that they want to come over there. So tell me about how you define social change agent and who is a social change agent? To me, it's anyone that's moving people and or money to positive social change, to a world that is more inclusive, healthier, you know, where we're taking care of people on the planets in, in more effective ways. And so that's whoever, anyone. So it could be, you know, a corporate sponsorship person, or it could be a government agency decision maker. It could be a foundation leader. It could be a nonprofit development director. To me, it's anyone that is trying to move people or money towards positive social change. What do you say to those executive directors or nonprofit staff that don't consider themselves social change agents. They just consider themselves, you know, we're just putting my head down. I'm not political. It's not, I don't want to talk about current events. I don't want to tie anything that I do to current events. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to step on toes. I just want to go raise my money. Because I'm always looking for things to say (laughs) to those, you know, because I think it's a very big struggle with a lot of people who aren't as forthwith maybe as we are about how we're feeling about current events and how do they get more comfortable being a social change agent, like being a leader? So first of all, I would say, you know, to anyone, it's your choice. It's your choice how much you want to get into the ring and how much you don't want to. Yes. But you need to ask yourself, if you are trying to lead a mission, right? So if you're in the nonprofit space, you're in the philanthropy space, your organization has some sort of a mission, right? It has some sort of a social mission. If you truly believe in that mission and you want to see it move forward, you owe yourself and you owe that mission a questioning about, am I doing everything I absolutely can to move that forward? Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times, because of all the baggage that comes historically with the nonprofit sector and how we, we so strangle the nonprofit sector, we often, as leaders in that space, feel like, oh, we're not good enough, or we should just kind of stay small or hunker down or hide, right? But What the world needs now is social change leaders stepping up in really big ways and really stepping into their power. We we need it like nobody's business, right? We are in this mess because so many of us, and I include myself in this. Playing it small. Playing it small, staying silent when we see something that we know is wrong and we know we have something to say about that. We have to let our voices free and we have to really step into that power. So again, ultimately, it's your choice. 
But if you look inside and you say, what I see out there is not right, and I have something to say about it, if you are holding yourself back and you're hiding, then you're doing yourself and the world a huge disservice. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that. And I I try all the time to talk to my clients, to talk to my audience, say exactly that. You have something to say. And we also have a responsibility as leaders to call things out as we see them. And you know what's so interesting to me? I just connected the dots here. The reason why I think a lot of leaders and people in the sector don't call it out is because of the scarcity mindset. They feel like we're going to lose a donor or we're going to offend this major donor. Yep. But if instead you realize, yeah, I may lose this donor, but there's 10 other donors out there. If you truly believe that, then you can speak with integrity. You can align with your own integrity so much more often. And the truth is when you do that, it feels so good. And you start to light up that again, that magnet effect happens, right? If you're over here in your integrity, feeling good, you know, lit up, money is going to be attracted to that. And people want to be involved with organizations that stand in their integrity. Absolutely. They want to invest in organizations that are not afraid to stand up for what they believe in and kind of draw a line in the sand. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw it. I think there's an example of a Girl Scout troop. I think it was Minnesota that there was a ruling where trans girls and women could not participate in the Girl Scouts. And they came and they stood out against it. And the whole Girl Scouts administration nationally came and said, this is not what we believe in. We believe we're an organization for all girls and people that identify as girls. And they probably alienated a heck of a lot of people, but they attracted millions of people that were so excited that they took a stand and they stood up for what they believed in. And they actually, you know, they stood in their integrity. So I think things like, I think that's so important and it's so hard to give nonprofit leaders the confidence to do that. So it, and it is hard again, you know, I'm speaking from, it's hard. It's hard to speak up. It's hard when you recognize something that's wrong. It's so, cause we're social beings, right? Humans are social beings. We want to fit in, want to get along. We want harmony. I think that's especially true in the nonprofit sector, right? It's a consensus-based sector. Mm -hmm. So we want to get along, but, you know, we also have to speak our truth. The the world is demanding that of us right now. Oh, I love that. I hope you're doing speaking again. I am. Yes, virtually. (laughs) Great. Awesome. Where are you speaking? I'm doing training. Actually, I'm I'm doing a whole um, free training series with my audience on themes related to the book. So just kind of helping folks step into their power and yes. you know attract abundance and all that great stuff. So I love that. Well, tell me about um, your business. Tell me about Social Velocity. How can people work with you? So Social Velocity is a consulting firm for nonprofit and philanthropic leaders. So I help organizations and the leaders within those organizations do all the things I'm talking about. So mm. reclaim your power, attract financial abundance, mobilize your networks, you know, all of the things that are going to help organizations achieve the social change they seek. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. So how else can people connect with you? Where are you online? Where do you spend your time? I, I know you took a sabbatical, but you're back I on. Did. I did. <laughs> and I also, I have to, I have to be totally transparent with you. Yes. I deleted my Facebook and Twitter accounts about a month ago. 
I'm still on LinkedIn. I love it. I love that so much. <laughs> Actually, I want to hear more about that. Okay. So you're on LinkedIn, so but I definitely LinkedIn. want to hear more about that decision. Yeah. So I'm still on LinkedIn because I, I really feel like that's a great way to just have real conversations and sort of, you know, find find um, kindred spirits and that sort of thing. But also my website, socialvelocity.net. And I have a robust email list and yes. you know, free training series and all that good stuff. Well, tell me more about, because I have a feeling it goes into scarcity mindset. It does. So why did you decide to delete your accounts? Because I'm sure all of us are very envious of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so first of all, again, I have to say, you know, for everyone, they have to make their own choice. And so yes. when I when I made this decision, I was very transparent with my audience about why I did it. And the reason is because for me, and again, this is just for me, on those two platforms, Facebook and Twitter, it felt very scarcity-based. It yes. felt like a divisive environment. And I didn't feel like they were honest and transparent conversations, again, in the places where I found myself. And so it just felt like a weight that was draining me. Every time I went to those platforms, I just felt sort of de-energized and just depleted. And I didn't feel that way on LinkedIn. And so you know, I just decided it was scary. It, it absolutely was scary because my scarcity mindset was, well, you know, what if I'm I'm missing out on things? Or what if there are conversations there or people I need to know that I'm just, you know, I'm not going to be part of anymore. But it has been absolutely transformative. I haven't missed either of those platforms for a second. And it's encouraged mm-hmm. me to spend more time and energy on places where I do feel energized. So that's been great. I love that. I mean, you've given me so many things to think about. But scarcity mindset, to me, what I'm hearing is it's so much more than just knowing that there's abundance out there. It's actually being active and eliminating things that are depleting that abundance. So that just kind of blew my mind a little bit. (laughs) So thank you. It's taking your power back, right? You ultimately have the power to choose. Do I want to be here or do I want to be there? Do I want to spend my time doing this or do I want to spend my time doing that? And that it's transformative when you realize and then take advantage of that power. I always forget that I have that power and it's always, it's just really affirming to hear that. So thank you. I encourage everyone to check out Nell's website, socialvelocity.net. She has a free training series and it says, learn how to reclaim your power, kiss scarcity goodbye, attract all the money you need and mobilize your networks in this free training series. So That looks amazing. Check it out, socialvelocity.net. It's right on the front page. And I really encourage all of you to check out the book, check out the free training, connect with Nell on LinkedIn. So thanks so much, Nell, for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Julia. Love the conversation. It was great. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then, you can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Music.